Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachna. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Monday, January 30th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, And that chapter of that book contains a narrative description of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for over 18 years to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself from that place. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you do that, before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. And we hope people do all of that soon and often because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives as they apply these tools in their lives. It also tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials, and if you have any of those to share with us, please give us a call at 563-999-3581 and press 1 on your phone. That will put the little icon of a hand by your phone number and um, let me know you want to talk. And I will, uh, hopefully in a timely fashion, see that and turn on the microphone and announce you by your area code. So we 
greatly appreciate when people do that because it helps us live into our intention with this work. The intention we have with this work is to be of service. So how can we be of service to you today? What's on your mind uh, the last few if you're new to the show, what are your questions about the show? If you've been here following us since probably about the 10th of uh, January, we've been just making the commitment to do more worksheets, perhaps uh, as many as one per show minimum. And uh, I've done a few. We've had some callers who've reported on a few. And um, it is... Since it is such a powerful tool, it's going to be part of our commitment this year, as long as it's serving people, to continue to do um, more worksheets on a regular basis and and then talk about them. If we've done them between the show um, and the current show and the last time we were on the air, if we've gotten results, um, the commitment is to... not just do the worksheets, but discuss the results we get when we do them. So we have someone with a hand up, area code 541, you're in the air. Who do we have? Celinda. Welcome, Celinda. What's on your mind today? Well, uh, one of the offshoots of my uh, worksheet with my brother was that pos and myself uh there was another one also was to possibly do a workshop on a uh, work sheet on my mom and uh, the dilemma I'm having is <clears throat> we had such a ruptured relationship that I'm not even sure I know how to frame the worksheet and I was just wondering if we could just frame it today possibly um, I didn't ask any questions. I just have little fragments of memory that might give me clues. And I was just wondering, I'd like to do a worksheet on her about three or four years old as as being that young. And I wasn't with quite you, sure how to go with, about, it, with, about it. With you being three or four? No, her. You want to do a worksheet about what was happening with your mother when your mother was three or four years old? I was wondering if that's possible because um, I don't have a lot of memories, but I do have some that might be of um, be good clues as to how I could frame it. All right, I'm apparently I'm not quite understanding. This is a worksheet okay. on your mother, right? You suggested that maybe um, I might want to do a worksheet as my mother. Yes. And um, I was thinking of possibly doing a worksheet on her uh, as a young child. And okay. I, I'm and not what sure. What do you know I, about her childhood? Um, I don't know much about her childhood. But I do know from report, family reports that her father was very, very um, angry, rage, rageful, and he was a principal of a school. And uh, at the time that uh, uh, corporal punishment was allowed of the kids, and I have gotten back little wafts of stories about kids that uh, ended up in his office 
And I do know from my aunt that my uncle, my older uncle, who was an alcoholic, uh, was beaten a lot by um, my grandfather. And I also was aware of, on some energetic level, of the dynamics between my grandfather and my grandmother because she was very withdrawn. And um, Okay. All right, so let me ask you let me let me interrupt and ask you something here. Sure. When when I usually recommend that someone as an adult or even a teenager that they might want to in as part of their processing they might want to do a worksheet as though they were the other person. Right. Most of the time, most of the time when I make a suggestion like that, let's say that I'm an adult and I have some memories of my parent being less than loving when I was, you know, 12 years old or even four or five years old, and I have a memory of that. Then when somebody says, why don't you do a worksheet as though you are your parent, it's in that situation. So here's my mother. Let's say she was 24 years old. Or let's say, just make it easier for the math. She was 30 years old when she had me. And I'm now 12 years old, which means she's 42. Okay. So I, I have a memory of her, whatever she did. You know, she gave me the silent treatment for three days or she screamed at me and told me that, her life was wonderful until she had me, or whatever it is, right? This traumatic memory that I have. And then I would do a worksheet as though I were the 42-year-old dealing with her 12-year-old offspring. Perfect. So, So rather than you trying to reconstruct what might have been going on that you have no real idea you know, make some up some fantasy about here she is at three years old with a father who is a rageaholic. Stick to what you do know. Okay. And and so if you remember an interaction between you and your mother that that went in a way that was less than satisfactory, you can do your worksheets as though you're the one who was upset with what your mom said or did, and then you can also turn it around. And do the worksheet as though you're the parent who is frustrated with the situation and or overwhelmed or angry or hurt because of, you know, what their mind is telling them about what their child is doing. Does that make sense? Yeah. Those worksheets should be a lot easier for you to frame out than trying to frame out a worksheet for your mother at three years old when you weren't there, you don't know what her life was like, and you're just basically making up, uh, you know, fantasy stories trying to project what it might have been like. Now, if she tells me something that happened from her frame of reference when I was very tiny, is that a valid uh, start for a worksheet? for both myself at, let's say, two years old and her at uh, 25? Sure. Okay, okay. 
I think I have a better um, understanding of what you were telling me. So I will go do my best to frame that as I listen, and then uh, as soon as um, I'll see if I can frame it enough to do a worksheet, and then I can report back to you on that. And I can also do a worksheet on that two years years of age for myself, too. Exactly. Perfect. Thank you so much. You're welcome and deserving. Thank you for the call. All right. So I'm muting you so you can listen in. And if you want to hit one on your phone, it'll take the hand down. And then if you want to add a comment later on, you just press one again. It'll put your hand back up. So the call-in number is 563-999-3581. And if you call that number and press one, I'll turn your microphone on just like I did for Celinda. So we've had some uh, worksheets that I've done and reported on, and one of them, one of the last ones that I did, had to do with um, a memory of the... uh, uh, one of the times in my life where I had the thought, I must be too stupid to be successful in life because I I clearly don't understand what's going on. I thought, you know, for whatever reason, those two two or three different situations, I thought I knew what was going on. I thought I was pleasing people. I thought I was doing the best possible job. I thought they liked me, etc. And... Um, they found a way to communicate to me that they were not the least bit happy with me, whether it was my psych prof when I was a senior in college or my wife when I was blindly assuming that we were happily married, raising two kids together. And so I did the worksheet on that, and I canceled the goal that I had for my current, my my now ex-wife at the time she was my wife. And I had this flash of a memory of her mother. I had the the image of my mother-in-law's face come very strongly. And so then I did a worksheet on my mother-in-law, who, bless her heart, um, was a wonderful grandmother and um, was the best mother she knew how to be and and she was tooling along in her 50s, and she contracted pancreatic cancer. And in less than a year's time, she was gone. And her death occurred about two, two and a half years before the situation where my wife decided she didn't want to be married anymore and she never loved me and I should get out. So I did the worksheet on my mother-in-law in which I, I had the goal for her to stay healthy and and be alive and be there for her daughter and our family. And when I canceled that goal and asked to be shown the hidden part of my own mind from the worksheet process, etc., I started getting a whole series of thoughts about how her side, my, my wife's side of the family, is not very good at processing emotions and talking about their emotions, etc. And for whatever reason, in that worksheet, in my processing, I flashed on the thought, 
I'll be willing to bet that my sons are not being made aware of who their grandmother was on that side. Now, this is a a, a stark contrast to what happens on my side of the family. You know, I have um, a sister, a younger sister, and she had a son, and he died when he was 10 years old. I have his picture on my desk every year at the anniversary of his birthday and the anniversary of his death. We send messages to her mother, to his mother, my my younger sister. Um, as my sons got older, they were encouraged to um, join us to go out for dinner to celebrate their 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 cousin's life and. Um, my sons know stories and have had pictures about their great-grandmother uh, on my side of the family, their great-grandfather, my dad, who, who died a year before my wife's father, my wife's mother died. So anytime we lose somebody on my side of the family, there's all of this celebration of life and talking about them and when we get together for family events it's not uncommon to hear oh Graham would have loved this or oh Tommy would have loved that or you know people are singing a song and the story comes up about how Tommy couldn't hold a tune and so there's this rich environment on my side of the family of talking about people we've lost that we love And when I did that worksheet, it flashed in my mind that, oh, my gosh, I'd be willing to bet that my sons are not getting that. They're not getting told about who their grandmother was on my wife's side. So I made the commitment to do another couple worksheets on that, and I did. And I also made the commitment to have a conversation with my sons to find out is this just something that my mind is making up, or is it real? That, you know, just given the way that side of the family is and how difficult they find it to process emotions. So that's what I did yesterday. I, I drove over to my son's house, and um, they were both there. And I said, hi, here's this thing I brought. You know, here's why I'm coming. Oh, and by the way, I'd like to ask you guys a question do you ever hear stories about your mom's mom? And they both said resoundingly, flatly, no, not a word, not a peep. So the insight that I had from the worksheet process proved to be spot on, and it led us to have at least an hour-long conversation about who their grandmother was and where she grew up and how and you know what what I remember of her for the 16 or 17 years that I knew her and um I guess it's more like 15 because she died so it was um for me just one of the the many ongoing benefits of being willing to do my work and act on 
those things that get revealed when I do worksheets and follow up on the um, the goals that I set at the end of the worksheet where it's, um, you know, I'm, I'm asked to set a loving goal for myself and my object of attention and then follow it up with either doing the worksheets or having the conversation or writing the letter or whatever it is that I've specified. And I just wanted to share that it was, um, uh, parts of it were absolutely delightful. It was um, something that my sons were shocked by, you know, like, why are you asking us this? And so I told them about the worksheets I'd done on the Internet show and how it led to this and then the, the EFT tapping session and what that led to. And then after they were clear about why we're even having the conversation, they relaxed into um, and they were able to ask questions about their maternal grandmother and that side of the family that, for whatever reason, is just not happening in their lives when they're with their mother or their grandfather or their uncle. And that, you know, basically that's, those are the only people they have contact with on that side of the family. So that's the update. Do another worksheet on um, my mother-in-law and um, another worksheet on uh, the uh, anger that I was aware of when my wife decided she wanted a divorce all those years ago. And um, because it didn't, this last worksheet I did on, on my wife deciding she wanted a divorce, it didn't lead to any, uh, you know, earth-shattering insights. So the goal I set was to do two more worksheets, which I will do um, and then report on. Um, so we have plenty of time for comments, questions, uh, answers, soliloquies. I like to I like to spice it up so if you've got a poem you want to read us or if you want to do a worksheet or if you want to ask a question about what I just shared, 563-999-3581. Call that number, press 1, and we can have a conversation. How can we support you today? What's on your mind? I think my my clock says we've got about 37 minutes left, so plenty of time to do a worksheet or talk about a worksheet or give an update for a worksheet you've done in the past or ask a clarifying question about the worksheet process. How can we support you? What would be of use to you today? I uh, I, I frequently have, have thoughts about, I wonder, you know, if the um, the legacy that's being left for my sons, which is the these worksheets and the process and uh, the audio files of the internet shows, etc., if they're going to have any you know ripple effect or impact down the road. But when I do these things and I follow up on the worksheets I've done and I followed up with the EFT tapping or fulfilling the goals that I set, I see so much 
direct benefit in my life today that I don't need to worry about the legacy aspect of it. And one of the things that some, someone mentioned um, last week, I think she mentioned, uh, Magda might have mentioned that uh, it's useful for her that we do the worksheets and they go so quickly. It's, you know, seven or ten minutes for one worksheet. Um, it's also um, really, really useful if I dig into a worksheet and when seemingly disconnected thoughts arise in the process of doing a worksheet, if I just keep taking those thoughts and putting them on another worksheet. It's like mining, digging deep in the mind, following the thread of the uh, the vein of the gold or the coal or whatever, and digging and just follow the lead of whatever thoughts bubble up in the process of doing the worksheets and trust that if it's come to my attention during that part of the worksheet process where I asked to be shown, it is going to be relevant. It is going to be bear fruit if I choose to continue to follow that thread and put those new thoughts or emotions on a worksheet and just keep asking to be shown, figure out what the goal is I'm holding for myself or somebody else, and then asking to be shown something that my conscious logical mind cannot reveal. And that's essentially what was happening with this last series of worksheets, because there's nothing in what's happening in my life today that would logically lead me back to what happened when I was a senior in college or a senior in high school or when I was four or five years old. And yet the emotions that are being experienced and the emotional belief systems that are are unraveled clearly are related. So when I'm willing to put aside the logic and quit trying to figure it out, and make myself open to whatever you want to call it, insight, intuition, random neural firings, whatever you want to call it, and then use those to either do an EFT tapping session and let stuff bubble up because I'm dispersing the stress response and asking to be shown, or I put it on a worksheet. And I say, here's the goal. Here's what my mind is telling me has to happen in order for me to be safe or happy or to get back into being productive in my life. And I'm going to cancel all of that and ask to be shown something else. Willingness to do that over and over and over again shows me time and time again a series of connections that I would never have gotten to if I just stayed with the logic. So the last worksheet process I did, 
I made an effort to send it to myself, and it it it, um, it failed to send. So I don't know why the. So I ended up having to try and send it to myself as a text message. So here's that worksheet. Is one of the follow-up ones. I, Tim, who am love, have through denial trained my carbon-based memory to show me the lie. This is the um, abbreviated version from the app, I believe. That um, the lie that my my true nature as love is no longer my direct experience and that my feelings of anger are caused by my trigger. And my trigger in this case was my ex-wife. At that time, she was my wife. And what happened, the dynamic that I was doing this worksheet on was she decided to divorce me and I put and hurt our kids. And the feeling on this abbreviated worksheet from the app comes up in in 1D, and the feeling I had here was anger. So 1E says, my thoughts that cause my feelings are, she was so selfish that she hurt our kids. And 1F says, I want to punish her by screaming at her. Point number two in the abbreviated worksheet from the app says, I choose to honor truth and willingly go through the physical, mental, and emotional symptoms of healing. The goal in number three in this abbreviated worksheet from the app, the goal is I want her to stay married and be attentive to the needs of others so that I can fulfill my commitment to my sons and her. That's that's the goal that I chose for this worksheet. Step four says, I choose to reconnect to my original being love instead of my upset. And so I took a moment and did a little meditation and thought about these loving interactions that I've just recently had several loving interactions with my sons. And I breathed into that until I shifted the energy in my heart space away from the anger that I started this worksheet with and shifted it over to that loving feeling. Step five says, in order to collapse my false reality and be liberated from my hostility and fear-based thoughts and get back to my actual mind and the truth about me and, and the truth about my object of attention, I cancel my goal for my ex-wife to stay married and be attentive to the needs of others so that I can fulfill my commitment to her and my sons. And I breathe into that. And then I invite Ruka Dakucha, this elemental force specific to humans that's there in every one of us, that's there to break off the effects of our errors in thought and guide us to truth and happiness if we just ask it to. So I'm asking. I'm asking Ruka to incline me toward healing, to restore me to my original nature and the awareness of my true nature as love, to assist, assist me in keeping love conscious, active, and present, 
and to help me come into direct conscious relationship with and gently remove the dissociated and projected parts of my carbon-based memory. So then I just breathed and I softened. This was earlier this morning. And this is probably fueled by some of the conversations my sons and I were having yesterday morning. But as I breathed and I softened, I literally saw a whole series of events like a a slideshow flipping through of difficult situations from my wife's life and what it must have been like when she was younger based on what I know about her grandmother and her grandfather and her mother having been raised by alcoholic parents, etc. So what I saw was a series of really challenging life situations that my ex-wife grew up with. So I took a nice, deep, cleansing breath, scanned my body, and realized I now feel calmer. And I wrote this this series of of memories about my ex-wife and her family and its history. And I asked to be shown times when I have been selfish and that my selfishness has resulted in disruption for other people. And then number seven, acknowledge us, my ex-wife and I, for creating truth and perfect love. And I made the commitment to do two more worksheets about this remaining anger because I still, when I think back to the original event, I still have hurt and anger come up kind of interchangeably. So I made the commitment to do two more worksheets and I breathed and softened and then I did a little round of EFT tapping and I consider that a useful worksheet and then I sent it to myself through the app. So again, Comments and questions are welcome. This is a process that hopefully is useful to people hearing a variety of worksheets done on a variety of topics. And I was talking to somebody earlier today, and uh, they they had a question about this, and I said, well, here's the point. Just keep doing the worksheets however you can because four or five years ago, I would not have been able to do a worksheet like this on the Internet show because the intensity of the negative emotions would have been too high, even though like the event of my wife saying I don't want to be married anymore happened almost 20 years ago or or a full 20 years ago. And I've been doing EFT tapping and these worksheets, the reality management worksheet and the neuroemotional technique. I've had people do EMDR on me, all with the goal of dissipating the intense, overwhelming pain, fear, and sadness and the rage response that would dominate my experience when I would think about this series of events. And over time, here we are. We're at the point where 
I've shifted enough, I've seen enough of the connections between this and other events in my life. I've unloaded enough, I've canceled enough goals, I've seen enough of my hurt and faced it and realized I I have already lived through it so that I'm actually able to do worksheets about that process. Whereas four or five years ago, I would have, I did. You know, we've been doing this internet show for 12 years. And this is the first time I've actively done worksheets on the show about the divorce that I didn't want and that pattern of upsets, hurts, fears, confusions, angers, etc. So hopefully it's a, a, a useful thing to get people to understand it's not a miracle overnight cure, and yet the more I do this work, the better my life gets, the better most of my relationships get, the more flexibility I have in how I respond, and the more time I spend in the positive emotions, and the less time I spend in the negative emotional states in my life. So 563-999-3581, call that number and press 1 and let us know how this is landing for you. I just pulled up the worksheet and it's one we've done before because I had left it on my phone. That was the one about my deep sadness that my mother-in-law had died of pancreatic cancer. And that's the one that led to the conversation yesterday with my sons. And... um, And I just see there at the bottom of it that there's uh, two worksheets that I can go back and do, one for my father and one for my father's father. So that'll be in, in my future, in the near future. And there are times when I know I have wanted from my father's father that he would stay around because he died when my dad was only six. So I never had a chance to know him. And um, and in a very similar way to what my ex-wife's family does, my father never talked about his father. I assumed it was because of his grief and because he was only six years old when his dad died, so he probably didn't have that many memories of his dad. But it's fascinating to me to think, okay, so here are these two different families um, who are not talking about the grandparent who died. Different reasons, different dynamics in the family, and yet same end result. I also had a, somebody, a patient earlier this morning who's a therapist who was saying, you know, the more she does the therapy work, the more she steps into the realization that 
when she formulates an ideal thought about another person, another family, somebody on her block, etc., she's finally starting to realize the more she does this therapy work that it's probably not accurate. Everybody has issues. Everybody's got stuck points. Everybody has strengths and weaknesses. Nobody has all the answers. And that's one of the silver linings to the difficult job of being a therapist is if you keep your eyes open, you will come to realize we are all the same. The way that I like to talk about it is to say the only significant difference between anybody who's ever lived on this planet or ever will live on this planet and you is the degree to which we're able to live from the realization. Not the thought, but the realization that we're all the same. And whatever few differences we might be able to describe are nothing compared to all the many ways that we are just like one another, that we all have issues, that we all have strengths and weaknesses, that we all have situations in which we get stuck, we all have blind spots, and we all have the potential to to grow. The podcast I was listening to over the weekend was talking about how when we're born, when we come out of our mothers, we've got about 25% of our neural network created in our brain, about 25% complete. And by the time we're three years old, we've got about 75% of it complete. Think about that. In the first three years of life, we develop 75% of the neural network. Now, we always have the capacity, because of what they're learning about neuroplasticity and the capacity for the brain to continue to learn throughout life, we always have the capacity to grow and change. And yet, a lot of what we live with, a lot of what we have in the way of filters and understanding is created in the first three years of life. So I've got a whole bunch of downloads, and no wonder when I do NET on a regular basis, it'll go, and I'm talking about something in my life today that's less than optimal and or some energy that feels uncomfortable in my life today, and I do NET with my practitioner, and it goes back to when I was three or four years old. Well, no wonder, because by the time I was three years old, 75% of my neural network had been created and solidified 75 percent of my thoughts about relationship and people and my relationship to the world and how the world should relate to me was already established the good news is if it's not productive and i understand about some of these tools that we teach i can start to rewrite that i can start 
to get proactively involved in living a better life. But it's only if I'm willing to do the work, to pick up the tools and engage in them. I like the way Bruce Lipton talks about it. And, and although he's a hard scientist, this this statement that he makes is not a hard science statement, but the statement he makes is that he feels that we are simply, for the first seven years of our lives, living in a state of hypnosis. That we're just downloading so much, so rapidly, that it's as though we were being hypnotized and everything goes in and it goes in deep and it goes into the unconscious and we're not even aware of how much we're, I'll just say downloading, how much we're learning moment to moment. And then after that for seven years, he says, then we just spend the rest of our lives playing out what's been downloaded. And this goes right in line with Dr. Michael Rice's Three Early Memories of Conflict worksheet that has me map out three of my early memories of conflict and then get very clear about what I downloaded as a meaning for what is life, what's the meaning of life, what am I supposed to do, how's the world supposed to treat me, what are relationships, are they valuable, are they hurtful? Are they safe? What do I need? What do I want? And as I do that worksheet and get very clear about the energies that I have downloaded as thought patterns and beliefs, it becomes very clear to me that I'm still functioning from that every time that gets triggered and what I what I think is my adult life, I'm not really responding as an adult. I'm responding as that wounded child in his first interactions with conflict. And when I become aware of that, it opens up unspeakably many doors for me to start responding differently. So there's just another real powerful worksheet that Michael and Jeannie offer if you go to the whyagain.org website and click on the Start Here link and then look for the word worksheets and scroll down so you'll find the reality management worksheet that we talk about so much. But there are also just a host of other worksheets there and one of them is Three Early Memories of Conflict. And I routinely recommend that to people in my therapy and in the support groups because when I do that exercise, it's a serious eye-opener. And it can help me discover patterns that are still active in my life today that my mind will tell me, well, no, Tim, you're just doing this because this person's an idiot or because this is all wrong or you you deserve this. But if I do that exercise, I realize, oh, I'm only doing this. I'm only having this response because that's what I downloaded when I was eight or nine years old. Or that's what I downloaded in this conflict situation when I was five. And I tell you, that was 
that was a chunk of work when I and I've done that exercise I, I don't know how many times we we used to have it in the rotation of the uh, videos that we watched in the support group so probably for the first 10 years in uh, the Michael Rice um, in the uh, mind shifter support groups almost everything we did was just play and replay the Michael Rice videos and every time that one would come up, I would redo that worksheet, the three early memories of conflict. And so I learned more every time. And sometimes it would shift because I had done some work or done a significant amount of work. And so now it wasn't that I was being driven by a trauma that happened when I was uh, six years old. Now it might be driven by a trauma that happened when I was 18 years old or a conflict that I viewed as traumatic. And then I could start doing the worksheets to dismantle that false set of beliefs. And much to my advantage, the more worksheets I do, the more worksheets I'm willing to do, the more liberty I have to respond as a competent adult rather than as the wounded child who didn't know any better and couldn't find any other way to respond. So we've got about 10 minutes left, and we have um, 10 or 11 callers on the board. 563-999-3581. Give us a call. Press 1. Let me know what would be of service to you for this last 10 minutes of the call. Any kind of a clarifying question? Any kind of a new question about something we haven't talked about in a while? Area code seven six zero. You're in the air. Who do we have? Hi, Dr. Tim. This is Anne. This is Anne. Um, Hello, Anne. So you reminded me when you were talking about grandparents that I had a trigger last night, and I thought I wrote some notes down, but I can't find them. So I went and grabbed some wake-up sheets. Um, if you can help me frame out. I'm trying to think of one, so on the story, one C, um, it's about me. I believe my upset is sadness, but I already know it's going to lead to some other, you know, possibly some anger and stuff too, but I guess I want to deal with the sadness. Anyway, I was at the neighbors, and they're going to be having their 50th anniversary celebration. So... I'm trying um anyway that triggered my grandparents 50th um, celebration that I was able to I was young um trying to figure out I wasn't super young cuz I traveled up there to it in Iowa from Florida so um anyway I'm trying to decide if the story is my discussion at the neighbors triggered um, my feelings or if that's what happened I mean is that enough for the story well I don't know what happened at, at your grandparents 50th well what what the trigger generated was 
Oh, it was great. So what I didn't, okay, I didn't get to do this 50 years, you know, because of my past. My mom, it was about my mom too. (laughs) My mom was divorced when I was six or seven. And I started reflecting on those in my family that had longevity in their marriages and there was none after my mom, my aunt didn't have that many years. Um, I, my mom didn't. I, I haven't. <laughs> I don't know. Um, and okay, so so I, what is the thought you're using to generate sadness? That I that I wasn't able to stay with my first husband, stay in a relationship for. Forever, <laughs> I don't know, forever is a pretty okay. Well, all right, but that's that's the the worksheet then, right? So it's the what happened was that you got divorced, and your thought about it is sadness um, that you couldn't okay. stay married to your fiftieth. Okay, so that's the thought that generated the sadness. Okay, yeah, all right. And and instead of worrying about the conversation you had with the neighbors. And trying to use that as a trigger and making it all complicated, just go to what's brought up. My sadness. What's causing my sadness? My thought that I didn't get to stay married forever. What's my goal? To have stayed married forever so that I could have (laughs) this solid family and the 50th anniversary party and whatever. Yeah, I I was bogged down with that I was physically talking to someone, you know, to the neighbor, and then, um, okay, because I'm going to be going to their celebration, and I kind of wanted to work through stuff so that I don't, you know, so that I can enjoy being around people that are celebrating, (laughs) because I don't remember that much about my grandparents, but I know it was a golden thing, and I remember giving them this Bible that the kind of Bible that it was written as a story and I went so I had to have been like around my teen years then because I went to a book binder and got it bound in gold leather so yeah okay so I can see where more sadness and other stuff is going to come up because okay I'm breathing. I'm breathing. Uh, all right. And that's a really that's good set of. Well, yeah, yeah, and that's a really good set of worksheets to do prior to this party. Yes. Yeah. yeah, and I would. I was gonna let it go because I ran through it. You know, some of what you just said in, in my thoughts, and then I went to bed. And I was like, okay, today listen to the whole grandparent thing kind of reminded me, no, no, I need to deal with it before I go. I want to enjoy it. <laughs> I want to enjoy it without being, you know, yeah, staying out of the triggers or having already dealt with it so that I feel better about where I'm at. But I, you know. Well, that's, that's the biggest thing long term is that, you know, if I don't get rid of these things, I'm still carrying them with me. Right. And they're yeah. there to get you know, stirred up when I'm interacting with my sons, 
or I'm interacting with my sons and they talk about their mother, or I'm interacting with one of my siblings who hasn't been divorced. And it's it's there to get stirred up unless I take responsibility mm. to start dismantling it. Right. And whenever yeah. it gets stirred up from that unconscious level and it kicks in, I don't have control over it. Yeah. And my mind will try and make me believe that I'm I'm being reasonable and I'm just responding to what's going on today and you know, this isn't my issue. Uh, anybody would rage at this person if they had this happen. And my mind will tell me it's perfectly okay to rage or perfectly okay to shut down and shut this person out or perfectly okay to do these things that when I'm not when I'm not triggered, I would not choose to do. Yes. Yes. So you Which, might you, yeah, you might you, mm-hmm. you might feel some sense of urgency because I want to get this done before I go to this party. However, right. well, I I've just want to, you know, <laughs> yeah, but I I just want to you know point out to you that the bigger issue is not about the party. The bigger issue is now that you become aware of this mm-hmm. issue, mm-hmm. be willing yes. to do worksheets on it. On, on an ongoing basis for the rest of your life if it gets triggered again. Yeah, yeah, because there's all kinds of triggers out there. I mean, another, okay, so see, that's exactly what's happening. Had I dealt with this when I first had some issues, because there's a lot of couples at my church that are 60-plus years of marriage, <laughs> and I've had similar thoughts before. I didn't do anything with them. And so now it's like, okay, I have another opportunity. So, yeah. But this time, because you you did start all of this, and, you know, and I'm listening to Linda and Susan and just others, and you doing your own work, it's like I pulled out my binder, and I go, you know, it's time. i got to put this to pen to paper. I mean, I can, it can float around in my head all I want it to, but it's just like you said. At some other point, it's going to come up because I haven't actually um, got to the bottom of a white cup sheet. I just found in this binder that I have quite a few that I'd started. (laughs) And so I have plenty of work to do. Thank you. Yep. That's a gift. That's a gift. All right. Well, thank you and blessings. Thanks for the call. I will mute you so you can listen to the rest of the show. I will remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love and everything else is false. Welcome, Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Tam. You're most welcome and deserving. Have a wonderful show. Thanks. So welcome, everybody, to the second hour of Shifters Radio. And today is Monday, January the 30th, 2023. Uh, Where did the month go? Our call-in number is 563-999-3581. Press 1, and that puts you into queue to talk to us. We'd love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show. Give Michael a moment to get dialed in. We have... um, A few more things added to the website. We have uh, under the watch and listen for free under radio TV interview downloads, there are a few extras that we found back in the archives of the old whyagain.com site, and they have now been added 
to the whyagain.org site. Also, the online worksheets that if you click the link, it actually takes you over to uh, my website, Healing the Whole Woman. And the reason we did that is because the worksheets are, are complex being done, you know, where they automatically fill in and things like that. And my website has a whole lot fewer pages, so if something got messed up, it's easier to fix than our whyagain.org site. But if you click on that to do the worksheets online, it will redirect you over to um, the Healing the Whole Woman site. And they are now working well. They are, they will automatically fill in. So like when you put your object of attention, then later in the worksheet when it speaks of your object of attention, it will automatically fill in that name. So you don't have to remember what worksheet you're working on. Sometimes when we get a couple of steps in, we go blotto, forget what we're doing. But anyway, that is out there working now. And... Uh, I'm glad that we were able to get that done quickly. So put those to work. I'm going to step in the other room and see if Michael is having technical issues getting on. Are you on? I'm on my way. And um, if you have any questions, please either press 1, raise your hand, or send me a text, or you can comment in the chat room. And we would love to hear from you. I was uh, just cleaning out a closet this morning that I hadn't gotten into since we moved in with Dad. And it's the closet my mom used to just stick everything in that she didn't think she'd use. So I'm going to spend the rest of the day going through memories <laughs> and uh, seeing what is to be kept, what's to be taken to Goodwill, and what's to be stored. So uh, hold the space as I go through that. You know, sometimes it uh, can bring up some stuff. And, and uh, so anyway, I've avoided cleaning out that closet. And we had uh, a meeting. My two brothers, uh, remaining brothers, came in yes, or Sunday, and we all met and uh, went over to see Dad and spent several hours with him. And that was a lot of fun, and then we went out to eat, and we discussed some business stuff of what we needed to do, and um, so it was good getting together, and one of the conversations my brothers had was that they used to have a fort under the stairs. They said, if you go in the closet and you go back far enough, because the closet's actually under the stairwell, said, we had a little fort back there, and said, that stuff is probably still in there, so that's what got me started saying, okay, I'm going to go in this closet and see what's there. And it's um, going to be a task. <laughs> so I hear Michael on now. So welcome, Michael. Fun, fun, fun. Welcome, everybody. Delighted that you're here. A new week starts. January is almost over. And we're rocking into 2023. Pretty amazing how time flies. So, Jeannie, let's just ask or check and see if there's anybody in the phone queue with a hand up or anything happening in the chat room. No, I've already asked that, and it's all quiet on this end. Cool. Well, I want to step into then a conversation about the, the healing process. And um, just to, to give everybody a sense, of the two, two purposes I have for the conversation I'm about to have, and that is 
to give everybody a sense on a deeper level of what healing looks like so one can have confidence as they're doing their work that they're in a healing process. And two, the importance of doing your work on an ongoing basis. It's just, it's so, so key to the process of healing. And what I want to share is, is what comes out of a personal experience that happened with me recently. <clears throat> and about oh, going on three weeks ago now, I went, well, well, let me back up a little bit. When I was a kid, <clears throat> I had a spondylolisthesis at L5. And a spondylolisthesis is something that uh, where the tissue on the front side of the spine is not formed properly. So what happens is the L4 tends to fall off. Instead of when you bend over, it being held in place, it, it slips off of L5. And so if I bent over the wrong way as a kid, uh, somebody had to come pick me up, literally straighten me up. I couldn't get back up again. So back pain had been a part of my life, my whole life, until about... 15 or so years ago, it, it, I, you know, it was pretty traumatic in the early days, and as I did my work, it became less and less and less to the point where I could function fully. You know, Jeannie and I could be on the road, and we could drive, you know, 800 miles and arrive on Sunday morning and unload, you know, 40, 50-pound boxes of tapes and CDs and cases and set up tables, and then I'd go and speak for four hours on a Sunday and then uh, two and a half hours each night of the week and be on my feet. And, and, and then we could pack up and get on the road and do the next week. So I got to where I could bend and twist. And I always had back pain, but it wasn't a big deal. It was just there. So it went from early days being a big deal to, oh, I've healed enough of it that we're in good shape. And then about um, 15 years or so ago, we did a class called Orthobionomy at Heartland. And Orthobionomy is a very powerful healing system with very gentle touch that is just amazing. And in that intensive, Jeannie and I were students. We're learning the process. And there's a section that they do on the low back. And Jeannie, who you know really hadn't had any experience or training or practice on doing stuff like orthobionomy or hands-on type healing, followed the instructions in the class, and literally in the moment where she had her hands on my low back, my low back pain disappeared 100%, gone, totally, completely free of it for 15 years. And about three weeks ago, I went and had a massage. We have a massage therapist here who's a medical massage uh, person. And, you know, over the years I've worked with therapists, you know, body type therapists, chiropractors, osteopaths, massage therapists. At one point I was in Trinidad and, uh, and the guy asked me if I wanted to meet one of their native healers. And we got in the car and drove, I don't remember exactly, two hours out into the bush to this guy who had a grass hut and uh, his treatment room was a dirt floor. And this guy was older than God, and he put me on that floor, and he racked me and cracked me like nobody has ever done. It was pretty interesting. So I've worked with a lot of therapists over the years and uh, in my own healing process. 
and uh, this young lady is probably one of the best that I've met in terms of knowledge and process and how she does the work she does. So part of the process was a, a low back stretch, stretching out the hamstring muscles and, and low back. And within about 24 hours of doing this, well, let me back up a little bit. As she was doing that, I got in touch with something that I had known about before, and I've done some worksheets around, uh, and that was when I was a kid, and this was a memory that came up as we were doing these stretches. When I was a kid, uh, I, I don't know, I maybe was 10 or 11, maybe 9, I don't know. But I had the bright idea that the, the man up the street, whose name was Mr. Dowdell, had just poured some fresh concrete in front of his house on his sidewalk. And I just thought it would be great fun to bounce an Indian rubber ball on his fresh concrete, which I did. <laughs> and unbeknownst to me, he's standing in the window watching me. Well, my dad was a shift worker. He worked 4 to 11, so he's getting home about, you know, 11.30, quarter to 12. And Mr. Dowdell comes out and stops him and tells him about my adventure with bouncing an Indian rubber ball on his fresh concrete. <laughs> And, of course, I'm sound asleep. My dad gets home, and he pulls me out of bed and proceeds to uh, whip me with, with such intensity that you know, the memory that came up was putting my hands behind my backside and screaming, keep doing that, you're going to kill me. So that's the memory that came up. And within about 12, 14 hours of that, I started to have this pain in the back of my hips across my sacrum. And it was pretty intense. And for about two weeks, went through that pain and trauma. And realizing that while I had done the emotional work around that memory with my dad, there was still energy stuck in my body, in my physiology, that had not been processed. So I kind of hobbled around for about two weeks. It would vary. I would do breath work. I would do forgiveness work. And, you know, it was a pretty intense couple of weeks getting up and down. And it was interesting because I hadn't had that sort of thing for, you know, decades. And I share it just to say, you know, there's a reason to continue to do your work. And when you do, there's going to be a, a process that happens. So as this low back stuff is opening up, I have a spot in my neck that's always been a big bit of a challenge. I have uh, shared it before on the show and realized way back when I was in Atlanta that uh, – there was a, uh, a natural foods restaurant that was setting up franchises, and I was an habitual customer of this restaurant. They had really good food, and they said, well, and they knew my history in the restaurant field, so asked if I would come to a corporate meeting and give them some input on what they were doing. So I was like, great. And I was sitting in the meeting, and, uh, you know, all was well. And the chef got up to speak, and all of a sudden, on the left side of my neck, the muscles down the left side of my neck down in my back 
literally pulled so tight that it pulled my head over to the left. And it was pretty painful. I was well into doing my work at that point, so I kind of mentally checked out of the meeting and checked into my body and breathing and looking at what's going on here. And the memory that I touched into was that in the early days when I had my restaurant, it was a location that was just an absolutely fabulous, beautiful, like it was a it was a restaurant known throughout all of North America because it was on a, a route, a main route out of the United States up into through Detroit and across from Detroit to Buffalo, New York. So it was before the highway interstate system. And so it was a really, and I've got a, a um, guest register from back in the early 50s and we've got people like Dwight Eisenhower's signature in it, Victor Mature, Marilyn Monroe. And so that's the kind of place it was. And it had fallen into disrepair. I bought it and was rebuilding it. And it had been about a year and a half, and it was a, a lot of work, but it was starting to happen. And a, a local, we were about three miles outside of a town, and the, a bar owner who'd owned a bar in town for, I don't know, decades, 50 years or so, passed away. And there was no place in the area for them to have his wake except my restaurant. So they came to me and we set it up. And it was like the opportunity to, you know, showcase what we'd done and, and in terms of getting it back on track. And uh, unbeknownst to me, my chef, under stress, drank. You know, he'd been with me about a year and a half and uh, it had never been a problem. But he got so drunk that uh, the next day when 450 people showed up, uh, he served raw chicken to them. And there were people like the head of the liquor license board and all the, you know, all the provincial politicians. Everybody knew this guy. And so it was a real blow to the restaurant. And here I am sitting in Atlanta 15 years later, and I realized that this muscle going down my neck is about my hate for Joe. The chef's name was Joe. I hadn't realized that I'd developed a hatred over, you know, what that, that was. So it was a, a pretty powerful healing opportunity, but that muscle remained, you know, sort of a warning signal for me when something like that was coming up. And so as I am processing this over that the last two or three weeks, I'm realizing that that muscle, as I'm dealing with my low back, that muscle is softening and opening. My neck is shifting my jaw is changing structure, so my bite changes, and my teeth start to catch each other and you know um, not meet properly. So as my uh, lower back, as I'm working through the energy that had physically been impacted, you know, decades ago. Uh, were being processed out and realizing how that had affected my whole spine, my neck, right up to my jaw and my cranial structure. So again, I'm explaining this to just give everybody a sense of the depth of shift that can happen and the process of healing that isn't always instant, that is just a process. And so... Now it's, I'm three weeks into it. I can stand up with zero 
trauma. In fact, I was out working. I know I had stopped working in the garden for a couple of weeks because bending over was pretty traumatic. So I was out this morning working in the garden, bent over without any problem at all. And uh, this spot in my neck that I had previously referred to as my hate muscle is about probably 90% clear. My teeth haven't uh, misaligned you know, a week now, but for that two-week period, it was really interesting just chewing. And so recognizing that this so-called body-mind unit isn't a physical device, but rather as an energy system, and recognizing that even when you do the mental and emotional work around something, that doesn't necessarily mean the physical is going to let it go. And that's one of the reasons for doing uh, different types of energy field work. You know, and when we do an intensive, we have a whole system that I've developed over the last 40 years of hands-on energy field work so that a person who's facilitating another one and another person in still point breathing can help them to open their energy fields and process out what never belonged in the system. So I just share that to hopefully inspire people to continue to do your work as long as it takes and, and be patient with it. You know, this was something that, uh, uh, you know, it's been in my life for decades and, you know, there are things that, you know, all of us would like to be finished with yesterday, but until you're at the vitality level to be able to process whatever it is that needs to be processed, physically, mentally, or emotionally, it's not going to move. The body's going to lock down and shut down whatever it is that there isn't enough vitality to really unwind, undo, and process through. And so I recognize that you know, this particular piece of, of work that I did a couple of weeks ago was just at the right time where I was at the the readiness, the level to to deal with that energy that had been locked in my low back for decades. So that's just a, a little bit about the, the healing process and remembering that, you know, the symptoms of healing are exactly identical to the symptoms of disease. When you think of the body-mind unit as an energy system, when an energy goes into the system, it reflects as symptoms. If we live a suppressive lifestyle, if we live in denial, you know, thinking and speaking as though everybody outside of us is the cause of what's moving inside of us, if we eat the sad diet, standard American diet, alcohol, drugs, caffeine, sugar, nicotine, what have you, then those ener energetic devices called addictive substances will shut down the vitality of the system sufficiently so that what one doesn't want to face, what one doesn't want to feel, what one doesn't want to deal with can be locked down into tissue. So someone who's ready to deal with something is going to go for, let's say when it comes to food, is going to go for the high vitality, high energy food that's going to uplift the structure. The person who's like, no, no, I don't want to deal with this, is going to find junk, is going to find low vitality food, is going to work in a, an arena where drugs, literally, be they pharmaceutical or otherwise, are attractive in order to keep the energy field weak enough that the issues we don't want to deal with remain hidden within us. 
course, willingness is the cosmic grease. And what are the symptoms of healing? On a physical level, looks like any kind of physical symptom you've ever had and low energy. On a mental level, looks like any kind of negative thought you've ever had and confusion. On an emotional level, looks like any kind of negative feeling you've ever had and depression. So if one's feeling low energy, old symptoms, depression, negative thoughts, negative feelings, what, what's the question you ask yourself to determine, am I in a disease process or a healing process? And my offering is that in a disease process, there are several signs that deterioration is occurring. When one goes into a healing process and you're symptomatic, there are four particular questions that you ask yourself. And if your answer checks off with four, then you know that you're in a healing process even though you're symptomatic in a way that looks like disease. So the energy moving out of the system is going to reflect exactly as it did on the way in. There is no difference between the healing process and the disease process except the direction that the energy is moving. So if there's something that's become locked in at some point in the past, you open up, you embrace it, and you start to move through it, then symptomatically it's going to look like that energy looked on the way in. So the questions you ask yourself are, number one, have I been doing more and more of the right thing, physically, mentally, emotionally, forgiveness, nutritionally? If I'm doing that, then I'm vitalizing. And vitalizing, getting to a new level of vitality, means that old hidden stuff can come forward. You know, let's imagine we have a vitality meter. It goes from 1 to 10, and you're at a level 5 vitality. And you have a level 7 toxin. You know, let's say it's an attitude or emotion, a way you behave, and you say, boy, I want to get rid of that. I want to get rid of Man, I want to be finished with that. But if you're at level five vitality, and that toxin, that behavior, that whatever it is, is a level seven, the body-mind unit is going to keep it shut down until you get to a level of vitality where you can handle it. So you do your work, you improve your nutrition, you're doing forgiveness, you're working with a commitment, you're using all the tools, you're breathing. You get to a level six vitality and you say, hey, I'm feeling pretty good. You get to a level seven vitality and you're like, man, I feel great. Level 7.5 vitality, I feel awesome. And, you know, you go to bed that night, man, I'm on track. I'm right on go. Everything is rocking here. And then you get up in the morning and you wonder if anybody got the number of the Mack truck that went through your room during the night because you wake up symptomatic. Well, what's gone wrong here? Nothing's gone wrong. You just hit that level 7.5 vitality. Now that old level 7 toxicity can start to move in your system, physically, mentally, emotionally. So the second question you ask yourself is, have I do, or the first question, have I been doing more and more of the right things? Two, had I hit a new level of vitality? Three, what's happening with my elimination? Since a disease process is a restrictive process, there will be a tendency for there to be a restriction in the eliminative organs of the body. And we're talking about the bowel, the urinary tract, mucous membrane, skin, lungs, sinuses. There'll tend to be a restriction. In a healing process, there's going to be an increase. You know, one of the most popular healing crises that goes on is called a cold. And they talk about people catching colds. You can't catch a cold. But if the conditions are right and you have a food supply, 
for a particular organism, then it will trigger the body into what's called a cold, and they're never going to find a cure for it because it's not a disease, it's a healing process. You'll notice in a cold, the limited symptoms open, things start to move, emotions come. So that's a healing process. So when there's an increase, it's not something you want to shut down. You know, they'll sell you a drug to go, oh, we can stop that snot from coming out of your nose. Well, if your body's detoxing what mucus has been holding to in the way of toxicity, do you really want to stop it? Or would you be better to go and get some lemon water and cayenne pepper, a little bit of maple syrup, and drink lots of it so that that breaks up and is released more easily? My offering is cooperate with the cold, accelerate the elimination process, and the cold will be over more quickly. So when elimination opens, you're heading in the right direction. And then the fourth question you ask yourself to confirm that your symptoms are healing in process, craving the drug that I used, whatever the drug is. It might have been alcohol, it might have been junk food, it might have been rage, it might have been holding your breath, whatever it is. Am I inclined toward doing whatever it is that I did to hide this from myself in the first place? And so when you ask yourself that question and you notice, you know, we've all heard the story about the the alcoholic that uh, has been sober for 30 years, just got his, you know, 30-year chip and he's all excited and there's a big celebration. And everybody gathers around him in praise and admiration and support and he reaches a whole new level of vitality and that night he falls off the wagon. Why? Because part of the cleansing process, part of the healing process is that if one has used an addictive substance in order to shut down whatever it is that's moving in the system, then as the release process takes place, there's going to be a release of the signature energy, if not the actual molecules still held in the body, of that addictive substance. One of the most glaring examples, I can remember a few years ago, there was a, a woman who's basically a naturopath, somebody I've known for several decades, and she ate a very clean diet. You know, we would joke about how, you know, dairy was allowed, you know, in the in state systems, they're approved for, you know, you can have so many, so much of a percentage of uh, of mucus. Uh, in the uh, or pus in the the dairy product, so we call ice cream cow pus. And this woman wouldn't touch ice cream with a ten foot pole. And you know, you may remember her calling us to show. She was a pretty regular participant back then. She lives in Mexico, so we don't hear from her very much. But uh, she had contacted me. It's like. I don't know what's going on, Michael. I, I just, I mean, I don't eat that stuff, and I just can't help myself. I'm just jamming ice cream down my throat. So, well, what's going on? What are you, what are you working on? What's happening? So, well, you know, my, my father was Middle Eastern and kind of abusive to me as a, a female, and um, you know, I've been working through some of that father abuse stuff. So, hmm, okay. So, I then asked her, well, what, what, when dad was 
remorseful for what he had done to you, what would he do to try to make it up to you? Bingo. Oh, he'd take me out for ice cream. So here she is working through all of that. And again, you know, ice cream, sugar. Ice cream is a congestor. Dairy is a congestor. There's also morphine. It's called casomorphine. It's an addictive, addictive substance. And so as her body got to the level of detoxing that, she couldn't think of anything but ice cream, just like the alcoholic that, you know, after that big celebration and increase in vitality, as his body starts to release the either the signature energy or, as I say, perhaps even, you know, um, hidden molecules of alcohol, the mind can't think about anything but that substance, what's being released at that point. And, of course, if you know what the healing process looks like and you know you're in a healing crisis and you realize that your desire for that substance is about what's being released from your structure, then you just keep going with your healing process and you don't fall into the trap of that um, addiction. So this young woman was just like, was an instant, I mean, she instantly knew she'd done enough healing work. It's like, oh my God, yeah, that's what was running her mind. And, you know, this is a woman who's in her 50s at that point, going back and dealing with stuff that happened when she was a, a young girl and a teenager. So I say all of that just to share a little bit more in depth about the healing process, and I hope that fits and makes sense for everybody. And uh, appreciate everybody sending support to my back. It's not 100%. It's about 98%. As I say, I went out to the garden today and was stooping down and doing some cleanup in the garden. And uh, spine feeling pretty good. So it's, it's an interesting process when you realize what's going on and how it tends to move in layers. So hopefully that gives everybody a little bit better, better insight. And if you have any questions or thoughts about that, our call-in number. Is 563-999-3581. If you are on a station where we can't see you, then you can't talk to us. But if you call that number, you'll be listening to the show directly. And then if you push one, that'll raise a hand in the control panel. And Jeannie will know that you want to talk to us, and we'll have a conversation. So, Ms. Jeannie, do we have anybody in the chat room with a question or thought for us or anything happening in the uh, phone queue? Uh, we do have a hand up, and uh, I will say that in the notes for today, I put in the links for the symptoms of healing and also some radio shows where we actually addressed uh, the healing crisis and things like that. So those notes are in today. And our Great. caller you, is, I believe, Susan610. You're on the air. Hi. Hey. Welcome, Hi. young lady. Thanks. Um. <clears throat> Thanks for talking all about that, Michael. Two reasons. It's good to hear, again, the healing crisis business and good to, but it's also good to hear that you're, and you say this all the time, you take yourself down off the pedestal. You and Timmy do the same thing. You, you, you tell us that you are still doing your work and there's this going on and that going on. That's in some weird way. I don't think it's that misery loves company. It just gives us a feeling that, it's okay to have, to not be perfect <laughs> and to have. We're all in this together for sure. I know. So, well, one of the other things I that, share that for too. 
if I can just throw in a thought there, one of the things yeah. Jeannie and I were sitting eating breakfast the other morning, and it was at the point where there was still some trauma in my low back uh, and the back of my pelvis. And uh, I could, it, it was a whole new level of conscious awareness. You know, we've talked before on the show about being aware of tensions in the body. And I realized that up until now, the muscles in my low back under certain circumstances, I would just automatically tighten. And mm-hmm. as I was working through this, I would be, I was very conscious of when I would go to tighten those muscles and able to look at what was the stimulus, what's going on here, that my body wants to go into this reaction and shut down rather than stay aligned and open. So that's just another little piece of the, of the dynamic there. Well, that's great. I understand this, exactly what you're saying about that, but and I want to talk about it, but I want to say I've had another thought about your forgiveness um, app. Yes. I have spent nine ninety nine on an app. I mean, some of those apps, if you buy it once and you've got it forever and you're going to use it over and over again, most people wouldn't mind spending $10 on it. We talk about right. not charging at all, and I know there's tricky stuff. Genius told me Apple wants a percentage. There are certain there's a format that's different or something. It sounds like a pile of hurdles for her, who is jumping through hoops and doing hurdles all the time. But on the other hand, ninety nine cents, a dollar ninety nine, that's great. But maybe it should be more. And it's that weird psychological thing about if you spend more for it, it's worth more. <laughs> so that's right. a thought. Okay. And you Good so input. deserve. What? Good input. Oh, okay. Um, the other thing is um, at my age and the type of body structure I have and my weight race, I have osteoporosis and osteopenia my whole body's great except my shoulders and you talk about becoming conscious of where you show hold your tension well right for me it's my shoulders and i've been visualizing air coming in between all the joints and oil going in between the joints and the joints just hanging loose but it's a big it's like a meditation but I'm having a lot of trouble with, you know, I'm teaching Pilates and I say, well, I'm doing this one one arm today, folks. You use two arms and I can't reach uh. all the way up. And I've been in physical therapy, uh, you know, not, I'm doing the exercises now. I'm not attending it anymore. But I just want to say there is something going on because suddenly it's worse. And I had a friend of mine, um, she came on the show once. She does uh, biomagnetics or something. And she said, oh, I can fix that up. Well, whatever she did, and I'm not saying she did a bad thing, but it's been so much worse, which means she probably just moved something. And I haven't gotten back to her. And I'm a little afraid to because maybe that kind of work isn't what's needed. Also, I'm hesitant about work like that because it's an external approach. Somebody else is working on me. And I figure... I need to do my own work. And I'd love to have a thought about that too, what you think about that. 
Well, as I say, this particular healing crisis was brought on by working with a medical massage therapist. And so Mm -hmm. I appreciated that support. And there's nothing like a little help from our friends. I've got a video Mm -hmm. that I'll send to you that I actually just came across. And, you know, we've been doing a lot of work around soils and that sort of thing. And uh, there's a, a molecule called boron, which is according to this interview that I'll send you, uh, is pretty much deficient in virtually everybody's diet and has a whole lot to do with bone pain and the metabolism of calcium and things like arthritic deposits. And the resolution is simple. Uh, The the gentleman who's, you know, this is kind of like one of his focal points as a, a person who works in natural health is... You ignore the uh, the label on 20 mule team borax that says that it's poison that's put there in order to inhibit people from using it for health purposes. But you take two tablespoons of uh, of, bora, of 20 mule team borax and put it in a liter of water, shake it up until it all dissolves, and then do uh, a couple of tablespoons of that a day. And he says that kind of pain and that boron being missing in the body uh, is interferes with the metabolism of just about every mineral and especially calcium. And that uh, he specifically is talking about, you know, things like you're dealing with and that uh, they're just people he's been working with, that kind of stuff just disappears. Oh my God, I want to do it. Is there food grade boron so, or, or is it all food no, grade? No, 20, 20 mule team borax. I mean, this guy's been working in that arena for years, and again, they they have a, a disclaimer on it or a warning that this is poison. It's only for laundry, and he goes maybe a little bit far. He thinks it's part of a conspiracy to make sure that people don't understand uh, what kind of healing properties there are to natural substances, but uh, he says that that warning is there for for no reason whatsoever there's no toxicity whatsoever for humans and that uh, this gives the body the boron that it needs so michael could you you have a word connected with the boron and i didn't get it i'm going to write it oh, down can you, you see it you probably remember the product 20 mule team borax that mule team 20 <laughs> I yeah do. The, the 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 name of the product the retail name is 20 mule oh my God. like as in that's from the animal mule. Past, like a long <laughs> long time ago but yeah according to I this gentleman that's the, the well i get it fresh Long-y. i just ordered three boxes from amazon and uh, start fresh. But th- this was something that uh, I just came across today, and I was like, oh, this makes sense, and boron is just uh, a missing mineral. You know, back as far and as the 1930s, they were telling Congress that the soils in America were minerally deficient, and this is one of them that's been a problem. I believe it. So you said one tablespoon to one gallon? Two, no, two tablespoons. Two tablespoons. Mm-hmm. In a liter bottle. Okay. Shake it up well. You might it might take a a few hours for it to all dissolve. And once it's dissolved, yeah, you've got the right amount to just take two tablespoons a day and mix it in water and drink it. And 
and he's saying he washes people with arthritic pain and things like you're describing, like within a matter of a couple of days, it just disappears once the body starts oh to get uh, its supply of boron taken care of. That's great. Thank you very much. I'll well, we'll forward. we'll see if the thank you is in order when you use it, and I'll let you know yeah, for, as well for, for us. Yeah. yeah. Well, my friend was telling me, don't say you have that. You're affirming that you have it if you say that. And, of course, there's something to that, too, but I want to – it hasn't worked to not say it. <laughs> well, I think, there's, I, think that, I think there's a thing called premature positive thinking. Uh-huh. And if we can't be honest oh, yeah. with ourselves, I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, we don't want to be speaking disease into the structure, but if there's something going on, I think we need to face it. We need to be aware of it. And if you can't name it, then you're mm-hmm. never going to find a solution for it. And, yeah. you know, being aware of it, being honest with yourself, acknowledging it, and going, and so I'm naming this so that I can do what it takes to clean it up, I think is very appropriate. Pretending it's not there if it is, I think is uh, much more destructive than otherwise. You know, I know in my um, uh, evaluation, whatever the name of it is, that test that we take, um, personal code, um, I got gullible. And um, so I watched that very carefully, but I don't want to be closed-minded either. So that's a tricky wicket there. Right. Yes. It is. Well, anyway, good luck with the back. Well, um, it's, as it I say, I was out working in the garden really, today and, and bending over and, you know, things I couldn't do the last couple of weeks. And it's been just, you know, it was just perfect this morning, just fine. Great. Um, you said it's way, way low, like in your tailbone or above? Literally right right above the tailbone uh, across the back of my pelvis. Okay. Because those aren't almost joints in there. I guess they are. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's some pretty complex structures in there. <laughs> wow. Okay. And, well, and when you go back, you know, if you go back into anatomy and physiology study and embryology, you find that the jawbone at one point actually sits right on the pelvis and then the spine grows out of it and they separate, but they're like two resonant cavities. So what happens in the pelvis happens in the jaw. What happens in the jaw happens in the pelvis. So as this thing's unfolding, I'm noticing my teeth aren't working properly, my neck's changing. So, you know, the whole, I think they gave us a story about that when we were kids when something like the knee bones connected to the thigh bone and the thigh, oh, yeah. you know, you remember right. that? <laughs> yeah. They were telling us something. Yeah. That was true. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what goes around comes around. Yeah. Yes. And so would you say that if there's something in your jaw right now, your back is apt to be having a sympathetic response to, or is that just way back? Well, they're connected. Energetically, mm-hmm. they're connected. You know, it's like uh-huh. what happens in the TV uh, as a result of the signal coming out of the radio station or out of the TV station. It, it happens where there's resonance, and those two are resonant structures. So injury in one tends to create distortion in the other. Repair in one tends to undo the distortion in the other. 
And so that's what I'm seeing as this opened in my uh, low back. And then, you know, like within a couple of days, and I can I can feel and experience like major shifts going on. It's, it's like there's been a whole major rebuilding of my pelvis. Went through several stages of different types of trauma, and and there was a period of about four days where literally I could hardly chew without my teeth getting all tangled up. It's like, well, that's interesting. That is interesting. Well, you know, is that the same as when you touch your ear, your knee tickles? I mean, I, I don't know if that's true, but, you know, there's a equal and opposite little response. If you touch a place in your body, another place will resonate. Well, if you go into Chinese medicine, acupuncture, which has been adapted uh, quite effectively by Western medicine, even the uh, acupuncture points, you know, you put a needle in here to you know in, in your back to impact what's happening in your neck or your big toe that oh, yeah. there are yeah. energy lines that go through the whole system because it's not mm-hmm. a physical device it, it's an energetic device and you know the chinese were yeah. i think one of the first ones to uh, really comprehend the the connectedness wow. of it all mhm oh okay well i have to say the work uh, that we've been doing on the radio show um, does, I, I just think, I, my experience is that vitality can return even when you think you're way past the time when it can. Um, I had this presentation at church yesterday and I've just finished a new chancel opera and I haven't been writing music for about four years. But all right. of a sudden... I can do it again. And I, I figure it's the work. Well, you know, it's coming into alignment. You know, energy systems don't bring through more energy by efforting. They bring through more energy by aligning. You know, if, if somebody went up on the, the roof and bent all the arms of the TV antenna and turned it backward, the signal coming in for Channel 2 wouldn't be very good. It isn't because the antenna is old. The antenna could be 100 years old. If I go back and realign the arms and the antenna and turn it in the right direction, I'm going to get that signal again. And so this energy system, each time, you know, like like a really common thing to do to suppress energy is clench one's jaw. Well, when one clenches the jaw, they tighten the neck. When they tighten the neck, they restrict circulation to the brain. They restrict circulation to the shoulders. And it ties right down into the spine. And so if if we start shutting everything down, especially blood flow, you know, when remember the conversation about sympathetic dominance, when one's in sympathetic dominance, fear, flight, fright, freeze, or fawning, when one goes into that posture, literally the blood flow is cut to the higher centers of the brain. The blood flow is cut to the rest, digest, and regenerative systems, and it's purposely uh, for survival shunted to the large muscles and the lungs. So parts of the structure suffer, but you know, if one and originally the, the whole design of it was if you're out in the jungle with a lion chasing you, you know, you don't have to do a calculus problem. 
You're not going to be concerned with, uh, with whether your spleen is producing red blood cells. You don't have to be concerned about elimination. What you need is to have enough strength in those legs and those arms to either run or fight off that lion and get the heck out of Dodge. You know, yeah. five minutes later, you know, if you got away, then the idea was that that sympathetic dominance shifted back to parasympathetic dominance where everything else came back online and blood flow was supplied to the rest, digest, regeneration uh, parts of the structure mm -hmm. and the higher brain centers. So when we live in sympathetic dominance, which a lot of people do, you know, you've been putting your hand in the Avicen a lot, you've been doing your forgiveness work, then what happens is that parasympathetic system comes back online, which means brain starts to work better, means muscles start to work better, means everything functions in a, a higher form than when one was in that fight, fright, fear, freeze, fawning mode. Interesting that you add fawning. That's a new one. It is. It's a rel I've been doing more study in that arena, and um, since I did the the medical um, study group for Avison, I've been doing more work and more understanding of that system, and that's a relatively recent piece that's been added to sympathetic dominance and when people go into this submissive mode, oh, I'll do whatever you want, that's part of the sympathetic dominance state as opposed to, oh, I can speak up, you know, and, mm -hmm. and I would put it in the context, you know, all the stuff you went through with the boys, notice there was a time where you were ready to do anything that anybody needed to do or anything that buddy demanded and then you came to the point where you started to speak up for yourself. That would be higher brain centers opening and moving into parasympathetic dominance. So and that means everything starts to regenerate on a whole different level. When we've got the mm -hmm. physical blood supply moving into the places it's been cut off from, and when people are in chronic uh, sympathetic dominance, the pathways for feeding blood, oxygen, nutrition, removing waste to the higher functions of the rest, digest, regenerate, healing processes, those pathways become congested and, you know, junked up. And it takes time, if it's chronic, mm -hmm. for those things to to open up and resupply uh, the parts of the structure that put us in a whole, I mean, a totally different state. One state would, if it's chronic, if sympathetic dominance is chronic, that's aging and death. And it doesn't matter how close one is to the precipice of death, if one moves into parasympathetic dominance, then all of a sudden regeneration starts to occur. One backs off of, you know, heading toward the cliff of death and backs off and moves into health, wellness, youthing, strength and intelligence, all of it comes back. There, There is no reason, uh, although, you know, the, the culture calls it age, there is no reason that at any age one isn't as vital and strong and intelligent as any other age. What is it so. about all that? I feel as if my brain is better than it's ever been, and my relationships mm -hmm. are better than they've been. But my body, yes. I get poop. And so, <laughs> you know, my body doesn't seem to be on a par with my brain. Maybe I'm fooling myself <laughs> about my brain, but um, well, do you have an explanation for that? 
Well, well, look at how many levels of healing. Look at the depth of healing you've been doing for the last couple of years. You know, one of the things I've noticed over the years, people will come to this work and it's like, oh, I'm never sick, I'm never symptomatic, you know, I'm, I'm just fine. But what they're really doing is living in denial, dissociation, and degeneration. And the body never goes into a healing crisis where it opens up and creates that big cleanse. Mm-hmm. And so we'll see people who start through this work. It's like, well, gee, you know, now I'm sick every other month. What's yeah. wrong? With, well, I thought this was supposed to be healing. Well, no, you're not yeah. sick. You're symptomatic. Your body's throwing off what needs to go. And remember, you know, one of the first uh, symptoms of healing is low energy. If you're doing the right things, your elimination's increased, you're craving old, uh, you know, substances and such, then your structure is in a healing process. And it isn't doctor feel good, it's symptom release. And as I've been describing, the structure's just got to work through it. And, you know, like I'm real clear on this one, how connected it was to something that happened to me when I was about 10. And it's taken me about two and a half or three weeks physiologically to move through that. Today is actually the first day. You know, last night I had a a totally different shift into a different part of my pelvis, restructuring. Actually asked Jeannie, you know, if you do some hands-on stuff. And this morning, uh, it's the first time I was able to spring out of bed, and I didn't even think about my back for almost three weeks. It's been, oh, I have to get up carefully. So the symptomatic state in healing, I mean... It goes on, and it's just part of the process. Be conscious. You know, again, ask yourself those four questions. Doing more of the right things. What's happening with elimination? Symptoms moving. Old cravings. Mm -hmm. If those things are Mm -hmm. yes, then, okay, so I'm in the healing process. I'm going to stand in willingness. I'm going to keep doing the right things instead of going for that, you know, uh, sugary snack. I'm going to go for uh, a salad and vitalize myself Mm -hmm. and keep that energy moving. Well, and and, and we can bring in. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, it's yours. I don't know whether this Okay, just that the energy isn't, I have tremendous great energy first thing in the morning. Wow, I'm out the door for an hour's walk, then I teach my class, but then I have to lie down. And it's 10 minutes of power nap and then I'm up again. So it isn't the kind of fatigue where I'm dragging around all day. It's, it's very, it's pretty intense. And, and then, whoop, got to lie down. Oh, I'm out. But it doesn't last more than five minutes or something. And that's one of the biggest pieces missing in our culture, in our, you know, you have to produce, you have to achieve goals. That's one of the biggest pieces missing in our culture is when there's healing being done, lay down and, be, and let it happen rather than I have to run off mm-hmm. and accomplish things. I have to be on constant go. Take time to take mm-hmm. care of yourself and rest. You know, a nap in the day is one of the best things in the world. Uh, absolutely. Totally great. And I always took them, even, even in college. I'd shut down the shop after lunch and disappear for a while. Yeah. Siesta time. So, yeah. I think the Mexicans have it right. (laughs) They had that one right. Exactly, yes. And 
so the other thing I was going to bring in is that we've been convinced that these degenerating conditions have something to do with time. Mm-hmm. And they don't. They have. they have to do with the qualities of energies that we're putting mm-hmm. into our structures. Yeah. It's got nothing to do with age or time. But when we buy into, oh, it's got to do with time, then we add the mind energy of degeneration because time is passing and because we're creators, there's a tendency to degenerate if you buy into that story. I can you know, see people how that will would be. often ask me, yeah, people often ask me, well, how old is Aria or how old are you? And my answer is, she's not. I'm not. And people kind of do this mm-hmm. double take. Well, what do you mean? Well, she's mm-hmm. been circling the earth for four years. There's nothing old about that. Well, you know, I was just meaning how old. It, yeah, that's our consent to, to aging has uh, an impact of degeneration, and we need to remove yeah. our consent from that. Mm-hmm. Well, it isn't time. Time is not toxic. Medical conference in from a, a yeah, group in with, Cincinnati, yeah. Ohio, the Corsi Clinic. Time is not toxic. Time has no effect on human tissues under any conditions. It is the belief in the effect of time by those who subscribe to such a belief that acts as a poison. Um, and the world's bought into it. And so it, it happens yeah. the way the world believes it, but not because that's the way it 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 naturally works, but because we're creators and we can create it that way. So yeah. need to let loose of that one. Mm. So any other thoughts for you? Only that Luke and I had a wonderful talk, and he says he really wants to do worksheets and wants to come on the radio show. I know I have said that before, and he has said that before, but I really think it's approaching, and I'm just so excited about when it happens. He's nice. now 90 days sober, and he did say, he said, you know what? I would go into these blackout rages when I was drunk. He said, now I know I'm angry, and I'm not drunk, and I have to look at my anger. And I said, of course you're angry. There That's it is. Okay. It's time to do the worksheet. You're conscious now. Let's get to work. And he says, I want to do that. And he's got a wonderful sponsor, and he's just been great. And so I'm just hoping that he'll use the show at some point. That's awesome. Well, send him that latest worksheet that I sent you just a few days ago. That's probably the the simplest, most effective way for him to get started, and it would be awesome for him to come on the show and, and do a worksheet with that. I'll send him. We'd love to hear from him. My Zoom group. Oh, yeah. He appreciates. I I report that Michael asked after you, and he appreciates that very much. You've had your your reach is farther than just the radio. Cool. Well, ultimately, what we're looking to do is impact every mind, heart, and being on the planet. So, appreciate you Mm -hmm. being part of the uh, the effort that it takes to put it out there. Lots of love and blessings. Okay. Thanks, Mike. All right, take care. Bye-bye.